You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We find that Jesus had just healed a man who was possessed with the devil, was blind, and was mute. He is here demonstrating indisputable evidence of the fact that he was the Messiah. And faced with this indisputable evidence, those Pharisees that that had been rejecting his claim as the Messiah had to offer to the people some explanation for this miraculous work that he had done. Traditionally, they had believed that the Messiah would cast out devils, heal lepers, cleanse lepers, and would cause the mute to speak would open the eyes of the blind. And so here is a man who had been blind, was mute. He is now speaking. He is now seeing. And the people are saying, surely this is the Messiah. And so the Pharisees were faced with giving to the people some kind of explanation for their continued rejection of Jesus. And thus they offered rejection of Jesus. And thus they offered that he was doing these things through the power of Satan. That he was in league with Beelzebub, the prince of darkness. And Jesus showed to them the fallacy of such reasoning. He said, if Satan's kingdom is divided against itself, it will surely fall. He pointed out that he was doing these things through the power of God, which demonstrated to them that the kingdom of God had come to them. But in facing the charges of the Pharisees that he was doing this through the power of Satan, Jesus said, verse 31, Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever speaketh the word against the Son of Man it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world and neither in the world to come. Now, Satan often likes to torment people with the thought that they have committed the unpardonable sin. Many times people come to us in deep distress. 
Their minds are tormented because they believe that they have committed the unpardonable sin. I've had many people who have told me that they felt they had committed the unpardonable sin. I have never yet met one who told me that, that I believed actually did commit the unpardonable sin. In fact, I'd like to say to you today that if you are afraid that you have committed the unpardonable sin, if you're worried about that, you haven't. Because had you committed the unpardonable sin, you wouldn't be worried about it. You, were, you have come to a place where you're beyond feeling for spiritual things. So the very fact that a person is worried about it is indicative that they haven't yet committed that sin. They may be on the way, they may be close, but they haven't committed the sin because once that sin has been committed, there is no interest, no thought, no heart for the things of God at all. Jesus declares that when a person has committed this sin, there is neither forgiveness in this world nor in the world to come. If there is a sin whose consequence is so great that there is no forgiveness now or later, if I as a minister of Jesus Christ did not seek to show you what that sin is, to warn you against that sin, I would surely be derelict in my responsibilities before my master. And thus this morning, I would like to show to you what I believe the Scripture teaches concerning the unpardonable sin and how you can avoid committing it. God said to Jeremiah the prophet, Therefore pray not for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, and neither make intercession to me for them, for I will not hear thee. God said, don't pray for them anymore, Jeremiah. Don't cry to me. Don't intercede, because I won't hear you. God said to the prophet Hosea concerning Ephraim, he said, they, have, they are given over to their idols. Leave them alone. And in Romans chapter 1, it speaks of a group of people whom God has given up. How tragic it is when God says of a person, leave them alone. Don't pray for them anymore. I've given them up. First of all, I'd like to share with you what the unpardonable sin is not. Many times we read of some horrible atrocity. Someone who has viciously sexually abused a child, tortured that child. And as they give us the gruesome details, our hearts and minds recoil and we say, that's 
unforgivable. Not so. According to the Scriptures, if that person would confess their sins and ask God's forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse from all unrighteousness. The unforgivable sin is not adultery. David the king, called a man after God's own heart, was guilty of adultery. And when he confessed to the prophet Nathan, I have sinned, the prophet said, and God has forgiven your sins. It caused David to later write in Psalm 32, Oh, how happy is the man whose sins are forgiven. The woman who was taken in the very act of adultery and brought to Jesus in order that he might condemn her and allow them to stone her to death. When he had subtly driven off the crowd that was condemning her, he stood up and looked and said, Woman, where are your accusers? She said, Well, Lord, I guess I don't have any. And he said, Neither do I condemn thee. Go thy way and sin no more. So the unpardonable sin is not adultery. The unpardonable sin is not murder. David, after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba, in trying to cover his sin, only compounded it because he had her husband put to death. This is so true. We sometimes in seeking to cover our sins only make things worse and we only compound the whole issue. The Bible said, He that seeks to cover his sin shall not prosper, but whoever will confess his sin, he will be forgiven. David tried to cover it with a murder. And yet the prophet said, God has forgiven your sin. Paul the Apostle, his hands were red with the blood of the saints of the early church. He was there voting for Stephen's death. In fact, he was participating in the stoning of Stephen because he held the coats of those who were doing the actual stoning and he watched Stephen as he was the first martyr of the church. And yet, as Paul later wrote concerning his conversion, he said that this grace of God was manifested unto him who is less than the least of all of the saints because I persecuted the church of Christ. But Paul was forgiven. Looking at the Scriptures, in the first book of the Bible, we get a hint of the unpardonable sin. During the days of Noah, the wickedness of men was exceedingly great upon the earth. And God saw that the imagination of man's heart was only evil continually. And God declared that he was going to destroy man from off the face of the earth. 
And God, when he spoke to Noah, said unto him, For my spirit will not always strive with man. There comes a time when God's spirit will cease to strive with man, with an individual. When God says, that's it. Pray no more for their good. I will not hear you. Leave them alone. I've given them up. God's Spirit does strive with man. And for that, we are so thankful. And it may sort of needle you a bit that God's Spirit is striving with you. You may try to silence the voice of the Spirit in your heart, but believe me, if God's Spirit is striving with you, be thankful. It means you haven't yet gone too far. It is possible to go over the line, to go so far that God's Spirit will no longer strive with you. God warned Noah of this. My Spirit will not always strive with man. In John chapter 12, verse 39, John speaking of the Pharisees said, Therefore they could not believe. He did not say they would not believe. He said they could not believe. What brought them to this place? where believing in Jesus was now an impossibility. When Jesus first began his public ministry, he came to the synagogue in Nazareth. They handed him the scriptures, the scroll of Isaiah. He opened it to the place where it was written, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. To heal the brokenhearted. To open the prison doors to those that are bound. To set the captive free. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And then as Jesus closed the scroll, he said, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your eyes. Having read the prophecy of the Messiah, he then declared, I'm him. This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your eyes. Very shocking statement, very radical statement, that immediately caused them to have to determine is this man speaking the truth or not? Is he the Messiah or not? And I imagine that it was quite a mental wrestling match that they were going through as they were weighing this radical statement. Arguments no doubt erupted because some of them were saying, how can he be the Messiah? We know who he is. We know his parents. His brothers are around here. And after all, doesn't the scripture say the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem? 
And so they ultimately rejected his claim to be the Messiah. But as the days went on, he began to accomplish more of the works of the Messiah. He began to heal all manner of sicknesses. He was cleansing the lepers. He was opening the eyes of the blind. And every fresh miracle of Jesus brought to them fresh proof that he was the Messiah, which then necessitated a fresh rejection in their hearts of his being the Messiah. The denial of the evidence, because they had determined in their mind that he could not be the Messiah. Until finally, on this day, when they brought this man who was possessed of a devil, blind and mute, and Jesus healed him in so much that he was able to see and able to speak, now with this kind of indisputable evidence and the people once more saying, surely this is the Messiah, they too confirmed the position that they had taken because they could not believe, were forced to somehow explain these miracles apart from God, and they said, he's doing it through the powers of Satan. He's in league with Beelzebub, the prince of devils, and that is what caused Jesus to warn them, fellows, you're close. There is a sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, attributing it to Satan that manifests the fact that you've gone too far. You've committed the sin for which there is no forgiveness, neither in this world nor the world to come. You see, this wasn't just a spur-of-the-moment kind of a uh, explanation. This was over a period of time. It's something that had progressed to this point where God finally said, I've given them up. Leave them alone. When Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. He said, when the Holy Spirit has come, he will testify of sin. Of sin, Jesus said, because they do not believe in me. The rejection of the Spirit's witness to your heart that Jesus is the Messiah, that he died for your sins, your rejection of that truth is the beginning or the starting of the path that will lead to the unpardonable sin. The continued rejection of Jesus as your Savior will ultimately bring you to the place where God's Spirit will no longer strive with you. It is possible for you to reject Jesus for the final time. 
where God will give one final call to your heart. And when you have rejected that, God will say, Pray no more for their good. I will not hear you. Leave them alone. I've given them up. If you die rejecting Jesus Christ as Savior, there is no forgiveness for your sins, neither in this world or the world to come. But as the book of Hebrews said, only that certain fearful looking forward to the fiery indignation of God's wrath by which he will consume his adversaries. Of sin, Jesus said, because they don't believe in me. Jesus said that God did not send him into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And he said, he who believes in me is not condemned. But if you don't believe in me, you're already condemned. I didn't come. You're already condemned. And this is the condemnation. That light has come into the world, but you won't come to the light. Of sin because they don't believe in me. This is the condemnation. You won't come to to the light. You see, if it should be, God forbid, that one day you are standing before the great white throne judgment of God and the books are open that you might be judged out of the things that are written in the books, there is only one charge and one indictment that will be brought against you. You don't have to worry about God revealing every little sin, every little lie, and every time you cheated someone and going through that long list of perversity. There's only one issue. And that is your rejection of Jesus Christ and God's provision for your sins through Him. Of sin because they don't believe in me. This is the condemnation. Light has come into the world, but they won't come to the light. Your refusal to come to Jesus Christ is the only issue that you will have to face. So, if you want to prepare your defense, you better start working on it. That's the only issue you'll have to worry about. And don't try to give him that baloney that you had too many intellectual difficulties. Because he'll blow that one right out of the water. He said the reason why you didn't come to the light is because you loved darkness rather than light because your deeds are evil. It's not an intellectual problem that's keeping you back from Jesus Christ. It's a love for sin. It's the evil heart that you have rather than light because your deeds are evil. It's not an intellectual problem that's keeping you back from Jesus Christ. It's a love for sin. Love for sin. It's the evil heart that you have. Your desire to persist and to continue 
in your evil, perverse ways. That's what keeps you from coming to Jesus Christ. From a physical standpoint, there is a phenomena that is known as atrophy. The loss or of the use of a muscle or an organ of your body as the result of non-use. If there is a set of muscles in your body that you don't use, those muscles will begin the process that is called atrophy. If you will bind your arm to your side and just leave it bound tightly to your side over a long period of time, when you remove that rope or whatever it is to bind your arm, you'll find that your arm will not move. The muscles have all atrophied. They have actually, through non-use, become unuseful. They say that if a person stayed in total darkness, where there was no light to excite the nerve cells of the eye, that if you stayed in a place of total darkness long enough, you would become blind. The atrophy of the organ of the body not allowed to function in its God-ordained fashion. In the same token, as God has created your heart to yield and to surrender to Him, that you might live in fellowship with God, if you refuse to allow that organ of your body to function in its God-given capacity, there will come a day when you can't. The atrophy in the spiritual sense. Therefore, they could not believe. They had hardened their hearts so long, so continually, that there was no turning back. From a metaphysical standpoint, every action or decision that you make creates a pattern of connections in your brain. An oft-repeated action begins to make such a pattern that the functions are soon done almost in a reflex action or a conditioned response. You watch some ladies as they are knitting. And they can just be sitting there talking to you and their hands are going a mile a minute as they're knitting. And uh, it's just the brain has been so conditioned and the grooves are so deep that, that their hands can just move responsively without their even having to think about it. They can be deeply engrossed in conversation with you and the whole while the little sock is coming together. And it is possible the repeated actions uh, create this kind of a groove in your brain. Now, the first time you were faced with the claims of Jesus Christ, 
It was a heavy-duty experience. You had to determine whether or not you wanted to surrender your life to Him. Whether or not you wanted to be forgiven of your sins. To begin to walk a life of purity and love and holiness. And when you finally came to a negative response and you said no, there was a certain connection of little neurons in your brain, a pattern that was created. So that the next time you faced the decision concerning Jesus Christ, it was easier to say no because you'd already established a pattern. But every time you said no, that pattern actually became even deeper until now. When anyone begins to bring up the subject of Jesus Christ, you find your whole body almost recoiling. You get angry. You get just upset because you have created such a response in your brain that your whole body recoils against the thought of Jesus Christ. You're awfully, awfully close to the unpardonable sin. To that place where God says, I've given them up. Don't pray anymore for their good. Nine-tenths of the decisions to receive Jesus Christ as Savior are made while in the teen years. Nine-tenths of those who accept Christ accept Him when they're teenagers. The average length of life is 70 years. What does that mean? That means if you're 25 years old today and you have rejected Jesus Christ up to this point, there is only one chance in 5,000 that you will ever be saved. It means if you are 35 years old and you've been rejecting Jesus Christ these 35 years, there's only one chance in 125,000 that you'll ever be saved. And so it goes until if you are 65 years old and you have been rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior, to be saved now is to defy the odds. It is a miracle of God's sovereign grace. That is why the prophet said, Call upon the Lord while he is near. Seek him while he might be found. And again, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. It is so important for you, if you have been rejecting Jesus Christ, you've established that brain pattern. You've been refusing to allow that organ of your body to function in its God-ordained capacity. You're losing power. It's so important that today you break that 
pattern and that you receive Jesus Christ. For you see, another rejection only brings you that much closer to the point of no return, to that place where you cannot believe, that place where God says, I've given up. My spirit will no longer strive. There is a time, we know not when, a line, we know not where. But it marks the destiny of men twixt sorrow and despair. There is a line though by man unseen, once it has been crossed, even God himself in all his love has sworn that all is lost. It is possible for you to say no once too often, to cross that line. And once you do, you'll never again feel the tug of the Spirit. You'll never again feel that pang of conscience. You will never again be drawn towards Jesus Christ. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart lest you come to the place as God declared in the scripture we read where God swore in his wrath they shall never enter into my rest. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for your spirit that does strive with us, has striven with us. And Lord, we thank you for the patience with which he has striven with us. We thank you for your long-suffering. Lord, we realize that your spirit will not always strive with man. And so, Lord, break, we pray, the chains and the bondage by which people have been held in darkness and in sin. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to set at liberty the captive and to open the prison doors to those that were bound. Many today, Lord, have been bound by the powers of darkness on their way to a Christless grave. Many, perhaps even close, to that point of no return. We ask, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit, once more, deal with their heart. And, oh God, give them the grace to receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we stand.
I feel that I have been faithful to my calling as a minister of Jesus Christ to declare to you the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me God. Now the ball is in your court. The responsibility is yours of what you want to do with it. But I would urge you and beg you by the mercies of Jesus Christ that you not reject him one more time because it could be the last. But I would encourage you to receive Jesus while you can. Call upon the Lord while he is near. Open your heart today, today to him. I would encourage you, as soon as we're dismissed, go back to the prayer room. Pastors and counselors will be back there. You can break the chain. You can break that, that deep groove. You can, you can start a new pattern today. A pattern that will lead to eternal life. A pattern of surrender and submission to Jesus to walk in fellowship with him. I would encourage you to do that. May the Lord watch over you, fill you with his love. May he be with you this week. And I pray the Spirit of God will continue to strive with you. I can't guarantee it, but I pray for that. That you'll not go too far before surrendering fully to Jesus. You're listening to Get Fed Today. One podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.